Hi, this is Pastor Joshua Morocco, and you are listening to our King's Central Podcast. I hope you get encouraged. I hope the Word of God brings transformation to your life and empowers you. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the Word. Hey, remain standing and take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. We've been doing a series um, that I felt the Lord lead me to share with you in these next few weeks called Ways to Pray. And um, you don't want to miss tonight because tonight we're going to be sharing on a very powerful way to pray. I call it spiritual warfare prayer. It's a prayer that God gave me many years ago when I was dealing with the demonic in my writings And I believe that if God is with us tonight, there'll be many people that will have things broken off of their families and off of their lives. You want to be here tonight at 6 o'clock. Let's read 1 Chronicles 4, 9, and 10. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this prayer that you gave us in the Old Testament. I thank you, Lord, that your people are learning ways to pray. You've given us patterns of prayer throughout Scripture. You want us all to be a house of prayer individually and collectively as your people. So, Lord, we ask that you would grant to us wisdom today. Come on, people. Let's pray in the Holy Ghost. Spirit of the living God, come upon us in power and in might. We're asking you, O God, to give us wisdom. Lord, you brought us into this house today for a word. May that word be manifested in our lives. I pray for an anointing upon me that I might preach your word with power. I pray, O God, you would move in power among your people. May they have ears to hear, a heart to respond, eyes to see. And when we leave today, may we leave changed by your power. And we'll be sure to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> a number of years ago, I think it was in the year 2000, Bruce Wilkerson wrote a book entitled Uh, Jabez, the prayer of Jabez. What you may not know is many years prior to that, Brother Canastracy preached a message on the prayer of Jabez years before that, and I believe he preached it even here. And if you are in the early morning prayer meetings, you will notice that at the end of every prayer meeting in the morning, we conclude our prayer time with that prayer. So it may be familiar with many of you, but I want us to take a look at the uniqueness of this particular text, because you'll notice that when you're reading 1 Chronicles, you begin to read about the descendants of Judah who are mentioned, and then without even knowing who Jabez is linked to, it doesn't tell you what family he comes out of, you only know he's from the tribe of Judah, you... The, the writer pauses to tell, about, tell us about him. Now, that's very unusual. And this is because, and I want you to grab a hold of this when you read First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, 
It's because the writer is actually writing in the 4th century B.C. Now, when the Bible is put together, it's not put together chronologically. Chronicles, of course, follows the, the historical books of the kings and the historical books of Samuel, First and Second Samuel. But in reality, this particular book was probably the last book written in the Old Testament, even later than the book of Malachi. And what you'll notice is that it is tied to the historical books, but it is more than just a history. It takes the historical facts, and these things did happen that is talked about here, and interprets them in light of God's grace that was revealed through Abraham and Moses. And the intent of the writer, this is very, very important, is really to answer the question, what good should God's people be like? That's a question we have to answer today in a world that's so compromised. What should God's people be like? You will notice when you read the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 13, 7, it says these words, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. And talks about consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You see, it's not by what one just says. It's whether they take what they say and live it out. And one of the problems you face not only today, but even in the Old Testament, you had people that spoke things, but their life did not reflect what they spoke. And we are called, Paul talks about imitate me as I imitate the Lord. So the writer of 1 Chronicles is deeply concerned that we pause at moments to reflect on those who have gone before us and can be examples to us to live the life we're supposed to live. And Jabez, he shares, here's what is interesting about the writer of First Chronicles. He shares how faith is a stronger bond than ties, that ties people together, even more than nationality or family. You'll find yourself drawing closer to the people of faith than you do of people in your own family. Because faith is a deep bond. So put, putting that all together, you can see why he pauses takes a name that, that it, it, there's, you know, if it was King David or somebody else, you could say, yeah, we understand why he's, he's pausing. But he takes a name out of the blue, Jabez, and he all of a sudden gives us a picture of faith and gives us a picture of an example of how one should live their life. Because Jabez is mentioned, now think about this, because when he was born, he gave great pain to his mother. So his mother called him pain or sorrow. That's what the word Jabez means. Now, let me give you an example. The mother had problems in childbirth. Now, was it Jabez's fault? No. He didn't have a choice as to how he was positioned in the womb. He didn't have a choice as to the reaction of, 
of uh, the mom to him coming into the world, and yet the mother, which was normal in those days, would use situations or particular things that were happening at the time and call their child by that name. So let's suppose you were born in a family and they gave you the name Misery. Here comes misery. That's exactly what this word means. Misery, sorrow, pain. Now, stop for a moment. Think about this. How do you handle that? He was defined by something that happened he could not control. And yet he was defined by that for his entire life. This particular passage speaks to a lot of people today because oftentimes people are defined by their failures or they're defined by somebody else's perception of them. Somebody else is going through pain and they place on you their pain. How do you respond to that? What do you do? How do you change the course of history when your name is misery? Aren't you glad you came to church today? This is a word for somebody. Jabez made a decision. He wasn't going through life oppressed by his name. And Jabez overcame, everybody say, overcame his situation. How did he do it? Number one, write it down in your notes, he was more honorable than his brothers. That's exactly what it says. Jabez, verse 9, was more honorable than his brothers. Think about that. He had the name Misery. But he was going to treat other people with respect. He was going to do what was right. He was going to serve the Lord. He was going to obey the Lord. He said, I'm not going to be defined by my name, but by my actions. You know what's interesting? You know, I did my doctorate in pastoral counseling, and what I found was that sometimes people see themselves not by how they see themselves, but how other people see them. In other words, other people define who they are. If you've been raised in a dysfunctional family where you're always said you'll never amount to anything, you can't do this, you can't do that, you have uh, you know, anger problems, whatever it is, Other people are defining you, and Jabez says, I'm not going to let even my mom define who I am. Some of you are defined by the actions of your dad. And your dad didn't do things good. You think it's inherited. It's not. Jabez had a choice. He knew it. He was going to be defined by his actions, not by what people thought he was. 
People will always have a distorted picture of who you are because of their own problems. But there's a God who sees you as you really are. Somebody say amen. And you'll notice what Jabez did. He prayed. He connected with God. He got God's perspective on stuff. And he believed in a prayer answering God. And he believed God could change things. And guess what happened? It says in the text, the last verse, so God granted what him what he requested. God answered his prayer. That connection changed everything for Jabez, and it can change everything for you. So how do we pray the prayer of Jabez? Take a look at it with me. The first phrase is, bless me indeed. <clears throat> the first thing we need to realize when we pray this prayer is God, recognize God's blessings are real, and he wants to bless us. Everybody say this with me. God wants to bless me. Now, I want you to say it like you really mean it. That was kind of nebulous. One more time. I believe that. His love is much greater than anything we know. Secondly, you need to ask in order to receive. You need to desire, say desire, to be blessed. If there's this sense, well, whatever happens, happens, you're not going to get anything from God. If you seek Him, you'll find Him. If you knock, the door will be open. If you ask, you'll receive. So the prayer begins with, bless me indeed. And when you think about the blessings of God, it's, you cannot think about the blessings of God without thanking Him for the blessing He's already given us. So we must thank Him for what He's already done. When you remember already what the blessings are that God has given you, oh my, it builds faith to believe that He's going to continue to bless you even when you're old. I think about all the things God's done for me, and I tell you what, I'm looking forward to many more <laughs> blessings. Come on, somebody say amen. Well, that brings us then to the second part of this prayer, enlarge our territory. Now, when I pray this prayer, I pray it in two parts. First, personally, enlarge our territory personally. And what are the things that I want to have enlarged in my life? Well, I want the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit enlarged in my life. I want love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and all the, fruits of the, the fruit of the Spirit. And I want the gifts of the Spirit to manifest in my life. So when I pray enlarge my territory, I start with praying it personally. Lord, I pray that you would manifest yourself through me in the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Enlarge my territory. I pray in... Enlarge my territory by giving me good health in our health. And then I talk about in our wealth. I believe God wants to prosper us in our wealth. And in our witness, 
that we would be bold. You know, what's interesting to me is when opposition came to the church in Acts chapter 4, they didn't pray for the opposition to be moved away. They just prayed that they'd be stronger to overcome the opposition, to be bold in our witness. Secondly, we pray, of course, corporately for our church. I pray for that every morning. I pray to have a greater influence for righteousness in our community. Why do you think God planted us here in Maui? Just to have a nice church somewhere and just uh, say hallelujah, but we don't affect anything outside of our four walls? We don't touch the area of business or government or education or any of the No, we're supposed to be an influence, salt, light, the Bible says. You'll notice that I pray that God would allow us to see people saved and added to the church as happened in the first century church. You cannot read Acts 2, 41 and 47 without realizing that a great work of God took place. And it says he added to the church daily those that are being saved. So when I pray, enlarge my territory. I'm praying not just for me personally, but I'm praying for our church to be enlarged and infecting people for all of eternity. Thirdly, I pray that the Holy Spirit would manifest Himself in greater measure in our services. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to be seen, but how do you see an invisible person? And the Holy Spirit is invisible. The only way you see Him is when He exercises His gifts of healing and wisdom and discernment and all these different gifts of the Spirit. So I pray, Holy Spirit, manifest yourself among us. It's like you can't see the wind, but you can feel the wind as it blows against your face. Or if you live up on Olinda, where I live, you see the wind's results when it knocks down those huge eucalyptus trees. You see the wind clearly. You don't see it with your eye, but you see what the wind does. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit. So I pray for that. I pray that God would rise up leaders among us who would make disciples. And I pray that, we would, that he would put in the heart of every believer to find a place to serve. You see, so oftentimes we're content to just be doing whatever we're normally doing when God is saying, I'd like you to be involved here. You're going to make a difference. In fact, I also pray that God would fulfill His vision for our church through us. Why do we have a banner up here that says Vision 500? Why every few years, in fact in May, I'll be sharing our new vision for however long a time God gives us to see that vision fulfilled. You say, why do you do that? It's because I believe vision focuses you on something God wants and it focuses our prayers and actions upon it. If you don't have vision, you cannot know when the vision's fulfilled. If you don't have no direction, you don't know where you're going. And anything will do. But that's not the way God works. Vision is a part of faith. It's a part of your hope. And you cannot walk by faith 
Without hope, without a vision, the people perish. Without vision, you cannot move forward. So God gives us a vision, and that vision is enlarging our territory. So I pray for that vision every single day. But that brings me, Lynn, to the third part of this prayer. Let your hand be with me. Let your what? Hand be with me. I pray for favor. Because when God's hand of blessing was on somebody like Joseph, what was the result was favor in everything he did and success. So I pray for favor. I pray that I would be at the right place at the right time for divine appointments. You say, I don't understand why you pray that. Whether you realize it or not, relationships is the mechanism by which God works in the world. Somebody witnessed to you and got you to think about the possibility of getting saved. Somebody invited you to church. When I was flying to Honolulu, flying over there and flying back, sat next to somebody, uh, on a different person each time, I witnessed to them. You say, well, did they get saved? No, they didn't pray with me on the plane. However they know very clearly where they are in relationship with God, and I believe that moment may be a moment by which God will use to draw them to Himself. That's a divine appointment. I've had divine appointments. I've shared it so many times. I've been on airplanes starting to witness to somebody only to find out that the person I'm sitting next to you has a mama that's been praying for him to get saved, And I said, well, I'm the answer to your mama's prayers. I I could go on for hours to tell you specific divine appointments that God has given me. I pray for those divine appointments because one relationship, one appointment can change everything in the course of your life. Pray for God to intervene in your life so he, His will can be accomplished. It's the prayer of Jesus in the Lord's Prayer that we talked about last week. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But then there's a fourth part of this prayer, and it's very important. It's keep me from evil. You'll notice that Jesus said it in Matthew 6, 13 in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from the evil one, and you'll notice that this was part of Jabez's prayer. You see, Jesus taught us to pray to deliver us from the evil one, so we pray for God to protect ourselves, our family, and our church from evil. In Luke 10, 19, he says, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He longs for us to pray a prayer of deliverance. I'll share more about this tonight. Pray for God to expose evil in your own life and in, your, in our church so that we could repent and be a holy people. The psalmist prays this. If you'll turn with me for just a moment to Psalm 139. It's a fascinating psalm 
Uh, as a boy, I used to sing uh, this song. There was a song that was sung way back in the 60s and the 50s that reflected this particular verse. Look at verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So I pray every day, Lord, expose evil in my own life. You know, the problem is we don't see ourselves. It's just like God made our noses where our nose will only smell something for a short period of time. After that, we become numb to the smell. And one of the most unusual things is we don't really smell ourselves very well. But other people smell us very well. Have you ever noticed that? And so the point of the matter is, it's true even in the way we view ourselves. We don't see the areas of our life that we need to see God heal. So I pray for God to explore evil, expose evil in our own life and in the church so that we could repent and be a holy people. Thirdly, we pray that God will disrupt the plans of the enemy, that before we call, he will be there to answer. I like to sometimes call it a, a preemptive strike against the strategies of hell, of hell. You say, what does that mean? Well, if you're at war, you'll notice there are occasions where uh, your army may know that they're going to do something against you. So in order to blunt that, you do a preemptive strike. In other words, before they even attack you, you attack them and wipe out the threat. Well, I believe that there are many strategies from hell that would love to shut this church down, shut your life down, shut your blessing off. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So I pray, God, do a preemptive strike against the strategies of hell. Disrupt the plans of the enemy. Hallelujah. I pray that we will walk in the Holy Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh, as Paul writes in Galatians 5.16. And I pray that you will function in the full armor of God. Lord, help me to function. Let me put on the full armor of God and advance your kingdom. Paul writes about it in Ephesians 6.11. And then... Finally, pray that you'll be able to be more like Jesus, confirmed into his image. Over and over again in the writings of Paul, you realize that we have a goal. The goal is to be more like Jesus in this world. The world desperately needs to see Jesus. And the only one that they can see is you. So we have to pray, oh God, make us more and more like Jesus. Are you still with me? That's the prayer. That's the prayer. And if you believe that God will answer your prayer, and you believe that God is going to give you the faith to pray this prayer, and you're diligent to pray it, God will do for you what he did for Jabez. It said, God granted his request. Stand to your feet, everyone. We are going to pray the prayer of Jabez. Now, anybody know how we pray here? Uh, I'm not convinced. Let me try it one more time. Does anybody know how we pray here? 
The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. No meditating on your navel this morning. I want you praying. And you'll notice in the Old Testament and the New Testament, prayer was out loud. It's not that God doesn't know the heart and the meditations of the heart. He does. But there are times where we must, as a people, realize there is power in the spoken word. When a word is released prophetically, it changes things. When a word is spoken over your life, it changes things. God created the world with a word. And I just believe that when you begin to pray a prayer out loud, it not only confirms it in your mind and in your heart, but it's a declaration that you believe this prayer is going to be answered. You say, well, you know, I'm, I'm real timid and I'm afraid somebody will hear me. No, they're going to be too busy praying themselves. They're not going to worry about what you're saying. Are you still with me here? Now, in just a moment, we're going to pray this prayer. I want to get your notes out so you see how you pray, because I want you to pray it. All right? Are you ready? Those of you who have been with me in early morning prayer meeting, you got a little head start, but we're going to pray. Now, I'm going I'm to pray loud, but I want you praying. I don't want you hitchhiking on my prayer. Are you hearing me? I want you to pray. Are we in agreement? I know what hitchhiking is. Because when my dad started the early morning prayer meeting in 1984, I would hitchhike on his prayer. He'd pray loud and I'd be in the corner sleeping and I'd just say amen every once in a while. That don't work. I want you praying. Is that all right? Are we in agreement? All right. I hope the word encouraged you. Thank you so much for joining us here on the King Central Podcast. God bless you. Walk in power and walk in the fullness of that which God has given you.